Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Called the fake news the enemy of the people, and they are. It's a serious question. I, I appreciate your passion. I share it. I've addressed this question. I've addressed my personal feelings. And I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. You're listening to Just Ask the Question, Adventures in Reporting with your host, Brian Karam. Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with me today is former FBI agent uh, Mark Rossini. Mark, uh, for those who don't know, was instrumental in trying to inform our government prior to 9-11 that we had a terroristic threat on our hands, and uh, he, he couldn't get the right people to listen. So, Mark, it's it's a pleasure to have you with us, um, and, and I, you, I love to... As we go into the break, I'd like you to think about one question, and that is, what did we do wrong? So (laughs) stick around for that answer. We'll be right back. Attention, JATQ listeners. This is a friendly reminder that our weekly newsletter will be moving to the online newsletter database called Substack. Our entire back catalog of weekly updates will be available there, as well as Brian's articles from Playboy and Bulwark. You can check all of that out at justaskthequestion.substack.com. That's justaskthequestion.substack.com. Hi, it's Just Ask the Question, and I'm uh, your host, Brian Karam. I, I even remember my name today. And with this is former FBI agent Mark Rossini. And Mark, you were instrumental in trying to uh, uh, tell the country. I mean, this is not a, a, a breaking story. You you were the guy that was trying to let people know that we yeah. had a problem uh, prior to 9-11. What, what, what went wrong? Why? How did we well, fail? Yeah, I mean, and, and, and to, be, to be fair, uh, it's not just me that wanted to tell the FBI. Well, you have to go back to history, and there's plenty of stuff you can search on Google about me, and in particular, a 22-page document that I prepared. And uh, Brian, you feel, feel free to put that link to my Google Drive on your oh, podcast I will. so people can read the actual story of what happened. But the quick story is that in 99, April, January 1999, uh, I was assigned to the CIA's ALEC station. ALEC. It was a specific special station set up by the CIA in 1996 in order to um, track Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda. But actually, it was really set up primarily, initially, to go after bin Laden's uh, look for his financial links, where how he was getting paid and supporting the... Let me close this window, by the way. And your, your mic is a little muffled. Oh, sorry. Let's see. Is that better or worse? Or? Better, better. Okay, yeah, we got supposed to have background noise of the street. So, okay, so take two. two. Yeah, no, go so, ahead. Oh, we'll, okay, we're, no, we're great at editing. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, Alex Station was set up in 1996, uh, specifically by George Tennant, and he put this gentleman named Mike Scheuer in charge of it. Mike had been an analyst in the CIA's uh, intelligence directorate and his experience was specifically uh, looking at Eastern European espionage issues. Uh, but he was a brilliant analyst, uh, a very smart mind. But Mike, unfortunately, has his own issues regarding his beliefs about his abilities. And he sent some statements after 9-11 that, quite frankly, are, are, are blood curdling and cringing. 
but let that go. Such as? Um, <laughs> such as the only thing that happened, the best thing that happened in 9-11 was that the towers fell on John O'Neill. John O'Neill being the FBI special agent in charge, wow. who had retired just about 10 days before the 9-11 attacks. And uh, Shoyer hated O'Neill with a passion, despised the FBI, despised the CIA as well, because he thinks he's smarter than all in there. Uh, but he said that to a congressional in a congressional committee. And the congressman, you can find the clip on YouTube, yeah. the congressman just looked at him, just said, looked at him, just was, how do you respond to that? How do um, you respond? But but that aside, he was- That in, aside. Yeah. That aside. So Alex Station was created to go after or monitor bin Laden and Al-Qaeda. Okay. So after the Nairobi bombing, um, I had, I became- And the Nairobi graduate. bombing was- Okay. <laughs> I became, I, yeah, I, okay. I became an FBI agent in 1991, and my first six years I was working predominantly criminal matters, white collar crime, kill trafficking, uh, public corruption cases, et cetera. And then in 1997, I joined the Joint Terrorism Task Force in New York. August 7th, 1998, the U.S. embassies in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, and Nairobi, Kenya, were simultaneously bombed at about 10 a.m. local time in those countries. And then I was sent to FBI headquarters for a few weeks and then went out to Nairobi for the following three months and got a baptism by fire about Al-Qaeda, who they were, because I predominantly, when I joined the task force, was looking at matters concerning Hezbollah, the FARC, the IRA, ETA in Spain, et cetera. Right. Didn't really, the, the Al-Qaeda squad, I-49, the legendary I-49 was right next to me. I had been on I-48 originally. But sent to Nairobi, I come back just prior to Thanksgiving. And right after that, O'Neill, John O'Neill, who was a special agent in charge of the National Security Division in New York, because we didn't have a counterterrorism division at the time, we had a National Security Division, terrorism was under that. And John said to me, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to go to replace Danny. Danny Coleman had been an FBI agent at Alex Station before me, assigned to monitor Al-Qaeda from 1996. And I said, sure. So I replaced Danny in uh, January 1999 around and my role really was not really defined it was really weird it was kind of like this quasi liaison uh, role but really in a nutshell it was more keep, big boys decided keep moving around and your microphone keeps flexing Sorry. around so. okay <laughs> really that when, when when the big boys decided to work on a case when the he respective headquarters said, we're gonna work this joint matter, then my role was to be the person that, I'll, I'll try to steady it. My, my role was to be that person that made sure that the communications flowed and that the information was given back and forth. So if you want an, uh, an example, um, Nairobi bombing. Uh, so people need to be interviewed, intelligence has to be received on both ends. I was the proverbial you know, monkey in the middle, making sure that the pass got passed. In January, 2000, a cable comes in from Kuala Lumpur Station of the CIA, notifying them about this meeting, this terror summit meeting that took place in Malaysia. And the, and the cable also recapped all the events which led up to the terror summit. And it explained how the CIA had followed one of the meeting attendees, uh, a gentleman named Khalil Midhar, from his home in Sana'a, Yemen, to Dubai, Dubai then to Kuala Lumpur. And it was discovered in the course of investigation that was done on him in Dubai, because Dubai authorities went to his room, took his passport and photocopied it. It was discovered that he had a visa to visit the US. My colleague, Special Agent Doug Miller of our Washington field office felt compelled as he should be, as he should have, to inform the FBI of this event in Malaysia and the fact that a gentleman who attended a meeting of terrorists had a visa to, to come to the US. We embarked, we endeavored to let the CIA, have the CIA tell the FBI. And not, and not to interrupt, but no. it's not just, this isn't just politics in a vacuum. This guy was one, it ended up being one of the pilots, right? On he is one of the pilots. He is one yeah. of the killers. Right? So you're, you, you were endeavoring to let the the United States, the FBI, know that this potential terrorist was on the loose. And as a right. matter of fact, he did, uh, was heavily involved in, in 
taking down the Twin Towers. Yes. So you have to understand also, it's not just the FBI that would have been involved or informed if my colleague's memo, what's called the CIR, or Central Intelligence Report, had been sent. Immediately, the FBI would have notified then U.S. Customs. Uh, they would have put them in the tech system. They would have been stopped at the airport. Maybe they would have been denied. Maybe their visa would have been revoked. We don't know. But the simple fact of the matter is that Khalil Mihar arrived in America on January 15, 2000, along with another terrorist named Nawaf al-Hazmi. Who was also FBI, a, a... Who was a also a pilot and a killer. Right. And you were told not to tell the I FBI. was told not to. What happened was... and it's, Why? In, it's in Okay. Well, I lay out everything in my memo in detail, okay, as to what happened and why. And the short answer is why is politics. Because the black oil coming out of the ground is more important than the blood of innocent victims. And that's the, that's the goddamn bottom line. And you can't get around it because of Saudi sensitivities. And look, I have all due respect for the sovereignty of the Saudi kingdom and as a nation, as I do with any nation, with the exception of you know, Taliban and Afghanistan. But, you, it, it, but no one is above the law. Okay. And you're I understand the relationship. Oil money, you're saying we put oil money ahead of innocent lives. We put oil money and our economy over innocent lives because the big overarching picture is the world economy and the world economy runs on oil and we, America, are the world economy. And moreover, the price of a barrel of oil is pegged to the U.S. dollar. It is not pegged to the ruble, the Chinese renminbi, nor, nor the euro. It is pegged to the U.S. dollar. And since, and since the end of World War II, we have had a special relationship with the Saudis along with the British. Okay, remember the British put the House of Saud in power. They kicked the Hashemites out of the Arabian Peninsula and renamed it the Saudi Arabian Peninsula. So go back and watch Lawrence of Arabia. Go back and look at history. I mean, no, and, and, and I know it's kind of like tongue in cheek, but the, the his, history is there to show how we got there. And I'm not blaming to a degree our administration, current administration and past administrations, because look, Oil is power. Oil runs an economy. Oil is what makes America strong. I get it. And access to light sweet crude is, is important. And having our presence in the Middle East there is important. And our air bases in Saudi Arabia and our brokering and making sure the safety and security of Israel stays, okay, from a moral obligation. We, ha we have that duty. I get that. But to cower and not reveal the truth and just admit that we treat them special or in, in face or in direct contrast to sometimes our, the lives of our innocent Americans, that's just wrong. Yeah, that's well, just, I mean, come, where, where is the line in the sand to stop this and say, yes, special relationship. Yes, we understand you could fuck us over if you change the price of oil from not being pegged to a dollar. Yes, you might kick our air bases out, but when does it end? You know, and it's not just me who's been trying to say this, that something was right. really wrong you know look at look at look at richard clark who you can't impeach at all saying look the cia was working with the saudi mabahith to try to recruit and understand what these guys were doing and they didn't want the fbi involved because the big bad fbi in the form of special agent john o'neill special agent charge john o'neill my boss would have said i don't give a fuck about your politics if i'm going to round up these saudi boys once you start investigating them i'm going to arrest them and i really don't care where the chips fall but that goes in contrast with all the smart people in Washington, D.C., all the people that sit around and have a drink. Now, I've had it with the smart people in Washington, oh, D.C. Oh, I've had it with them. <laughs> I've had it with them. I had it with their bullshit and their covering and their politics and saving their own ass, okay? And, you know, quit being a fucking hypocrite. You, know, you really want to protect America? Well, then protect America. You really want to put America first? Then put America first, okay? And sometimes you just got to make the hard choices. And again, I get it. I'm not an idiot because the price of the barrel of oil goes up $10 a gallon, we're screwed. And the price of the barrel of oil goes to the ruble or goes to the euro because they're angry. The Saudis are angry as head of OPEC and their political sensitivities are all in a tether. And of course, you see, look, Brian, in my memo, if my colleague's memo, his CIR, had been sent to the FBI, the FBI would have been at LAX airport waiting for them. FBI would have followed Khalid Lamihar and Alpha Hasmi. They would have seen them meet with Omar al-Bayoumi. They would have followed them to the apartment in San Diego. We would have gotten 
court order from a FISA court, uh, FISA court judge in Washington, D.C., and monitored their movements 24-7, put bugs in their home, broke, gone into their home and done a, a secret search warrant, we would have learned a lot of things. We would have learned about Muhammad Atta and all the other members of the group. 15 of the 19 were Saudis. The CIA has said that they didn't pass the memo. First, they said they didn't pass the memo because so many things were going on. There were so many threats and warnings. They were overwhelmed. It fell through the cracks. Let me tell you something, pal. What happened in Malaysia and the actual real evidence, not intelligence, evidence that Khalil Amidhar had a visa to travel to the U.S. is not a threat or a warning. That is actionable intelligence, okay, which is the responsibility to act upon to protect America. And you had a duty, they had a duty, under Executive Order 12333, signed by Ronald Reagan back in 1981, okay, which basically, just read through all the bureaucratic crap and bullshit, basically gives and gave the FBI primacy in terrorism cases. Right. Okay? Now, they have to take the lead. So, the, all right, two questions come from yeah. Did you, all right, that's what they said at first. Then later they said they, I threw Alfreda Bukowski, uh, yeah. they, they said they tried to walk the information over and uh, that was proven to be false. But did, I'm not allowed to mention anybody's name or confirm or deny any names you mentioned because okay. they, would, I, they, would, they, would, they would try to slip my throat again. Yeah. But, okay. but so, but I can't, but you can say the names and I just look at you blankly. That, but, all right, but, but here's the, the big question. All right, so they first said it was too busy. Then they said they tried. Both proved to be false. The FBI logbooks proved that that, that second assertion never occurred. Did, right. did, did you ever think of just, you, you would have broken the law, but did you ever think this is so important? I, I better come clean with it. No, it is. When, when I was first told, because as, as my colleague Doug Miller wrote the draft CIR and it didn't move out of his queue, it wouldn't, wasn't being sent. Doug came to me and had me approach an individual who, was, um, who had the cable in her queue. Uh, and I spoke to this individual and I was told that the next Al Qaeda attack is gonna happen in Southeast Asia, that this is not a matter for the FBI. And when, if we want the FBI to know, we will let them know, and you are not to say anything. And I said, well, wait a second. The guy's got a visa to come to the U.S. I said, if he comes to the U.S., it's just diversion to throw us off. Like he's going to go on a fucking holiday to Disneyland or something like that and turn around and go back. <laughs> he wanted to go but, see a Yankees game. But yeah, <laughs> but, but in my, or, or a Middleman stand-up show. But or, it, it, well, but, that, if he wanted to go see Middleman, it was his fault. <laughs> but but you know, in Wait, my I gotta explain that for those who don't know, Steve Middleman is a comedian, also a friend of ours, and we blame everything on him. In okay. fact, to digress, in the last administration, I uh, they had the bell go off when I walked in one time to the you know the alarm go off when I walked into the White House, and I said, "What do you got a Middleman incident?" And and so that became for that one crew. If anything ever went wrong, I explained it to him, and so we have. I, I actually heard him on the on the. Uh, on the uh, headset one day go we have a middleman situation at the front <laughs> gate <laughs> anyway go ahead so sorry uh, so no so oh wait uh, oh man i lost my train of thought hold on yeah, uh, you lost your train of thought but I lost my train of thought, but, but okay so it was he was just going to come to america like to go to disneyland no right or a middleman show okay so but in my naivete and at that time thinking this is now, this is like January 2000. At that time thinking, well, all right, it's their information. There's an acronym in, in, in the U.S. intelligence community. It's called ORCON, Originator Control. Okay, it's right. even though we're all part of the U.S. government, it's FBI information, it's CIA information, it's DIA information. You control Whoever it. developed it, controls it. Right. And you let it out as you wish. Okay, I get that to protect sources and methods. There might be a human being that could be put in danger, or it would reveal some electronic me measures that we have in place that the bad guys couldn't even imagine that we had bugged or tapped into. Fine, I get it. So I believed in my naivete. So look, well, okay, they have a pretty good reason, and I know in my heart. See, this is my. This is where I kick myself in the ass. I know in my heart they're good people, they're good Americans, and they know the score here, and they'll, and they'll tell the FBI when they when they need to and will, and well, we'll take care of it then. They never did. Wow. 
So I've been racking my brains for the last 20 years trying to come up with a reason why not. And like any good criminal investigator, I put together a circumstantial case to provide a criminal indictment of the people that did not pass the information. See, this is where the 9-11 Commission didn't go. This is where the 9-11 Commission was, I'm sorry, Mr. Zeligo, an abject failure, okay? And I really don't care what you think, okay? It's that great investigators, and you're a very smart man, and other people there are very smart, and form, a lot of them have criminal investigative backgrounds. So why didn't you go down that road? Because of politics. The 9-11 Commission report told a wonderful story, okay? It was great. It was very historical. It taught people about Al-Qaeda, who the players was, who the players were, excuse me. And, and it was very, very thorough. But it but left it out failed, a few things. But it failed to address why Doug's memo was not passed. It didn't want to go down that road because it was too dangerous to go down. And if you look at my memo, I lay it all out there. And that's the issue. That's the problem because you would have then had U.S. government employees call before a grand jury or maybe a criminal inquiry and say, why didn't you pass that memo? There were 50 people who read the memo, who read the CIA cable from, from Bangkok Station, which certified that Khalid Amirhar and Ahazmi flew to the U.S. and arrived in LAX on January 15th. No less than 53 people or 50 people in the CIA read that, including the chief of station LA, the chief of station New York. Why didn't one of them say to the FBI, hey, by the way, two terrorists who attended a meeting in Malaysia at a terrorist summit came to America? You mean that falls through the cracks? But yet, every day, you send CIRs to the, to, to the FBI informing them of two guys, two Arab guys that have a coffee in downtown Paris talking about how they're going to go to America, and you let them know about that. Now you've got, here's actionable intelligence. You've got the record, yeah. you, and you don't tell the FBI. So my memo, my quest has been to try to peel that back and expose as to why that hasn't been done and come up with a circumstantial case because it's the only goddamn things that make sense. Nothing else makes sense in light of the other evidence wherein they tell the FBI everything every day about other things that have no freaking meaning or don't rise to the level of importance of this. And 20 this years, we're recognizing 20 years later uh, what happened on 9-11, 2001. And the question I'll, I'll leave with you before we go to break is, have we learned anything from it? And how has it affected us 20 years later? It's obvious we screwed the pooch. We didn't let people know and we could have let people know. And what does that portend and where are we 20 years later? So we're going to take a short break. Think about that question. We'll be right back. Hey there, JATQ listeners. We deeply appreciate your listenership and the audience we've been able to cultivate while producing this podcast. Thanks to all of your support, we've been able to ramp things up and create even more content for you to enjoy. Through our Patreon page, there are lots of new and exciting things to check out. Due to the way Patreon is set up, it's entirely up to you, the listener, to decide what that content is worth. The podcast episodes will always be free, but if you want to gain access to our weekly newsletter, ad-free episodes, exclusive merch, and much, much more, you'll want to head over to patreon.com slash JATQ podcast. That's patreon.com slash JATQ podcast. Thanks. Have a great day. Hi, we're back. It's just asked the question. I am your host, Brian Karen. We're talking with Mark Rossini, who was one of the uh, lead investigators who liaison between the FBI and CIA prior to 9-11, 20 years ago. And we've been talking about how our country uh, failed to, one government agency failed to notify another government agency about the potential problem. And now here we are 20 years later, Mark, and what has that single act done to the United States? Okay, let me just correct one thing, Brian. Sure. Not failed, willfully and purposefully did not failed. tell the FBI. Yeah, failed yeah. by no, willful, but, <laughs> right. willfully, you know, willfully you know, failed. Fail, fail, fail is I try, it fails I try to tell a, you know, I try to tell a joke and, and it fails. Oh, another middleman situation. And I missed the backboard. That's a failure. Yeah. This is willful and purposeful. We're not going to tell you for our own political agenda, which 
you know, shit rolls downhill. It's the administration and the State Department, which controls everything. That's the bottom line. So people need to grow up and understand that. 20 years later, what uh, is that? What is that? shown us i mean we got into afghanistan because well, let me, uh, yeah we have been i think mentally economically destroyed um i think we are just a house of cards in many respects waiting to fail and fall we have built up this trillion dollar empire of safety and security and it hasn't made us any safer because any person who's willing to die get put a can construct themselves with bombs or put, or put bombs in a truck and drive in downtown D.C. or New York like a guy tried in Times Square a few years ago and blow it up. Well, like so they tried at the Capitol, too. There were, uh, remember, well, pipe okay. bombs at the Capitol. Right. So we're not any safer, Ryan. What we are, what is going on, is that we have amplified and created the National Counterterrorism Center, which I was one of the founding members of, which was created in order to prevent stuff like this from happening again. Whereas not only just Mark Rossini and Special Agent Doug Miller who had access to CIA information and could read the material. Now you have like over 500, 600 pairs of eyes looking at it. So it's really hard to, really hard to hide. Okay. Right. So in many respects, that has changed for the better. And that was needed, quite frankly, all along. But what have we learned? We really throw a lot of money and energy at something and we still don't get it because we still don't look at terrorism from the perspective of the terrorist. What does that mean? We don't, you know, I don't want to sound like Mr. Liberal Kumbaya here, but you know, we got to get to the root causes as to what causes There's nothing Kumbaya about that. That's just common sense. Well, no, because in, no, because in the macho man world of Washington, D.C., and all these tough guys sitting around, you know, they're, they're leather chairs and having a scotch talking about how tough they are with other people's blood. They don't give a flying damn. They'll send you and your son and my son into battle. You get sitting around and take all the glory. Okay. Thinking that it's easy. Just we'll throw a lot of money and bodies at it and we'll fix it because that's tough. That makes everybody think that we're tough, strong America. No, you're not. How about a little sympathy? How about a little working with that corrupt government saying, look, fucko, you're corrupt. And we're not going to give you 88 until you clean up your act. Make your society better so your people have a better chance in life so they don't turn to terrorism. Okay. Reach out and better the world. You might not, not make the world more angry. That's being tough. Yeah. That's being tough. That's being a real man. Okay. Well, I mean, but being a, I, I, I take a look crazy. at Vietnam. The, the one example I, when you're talking, you know, our military has never been successful in regime change, except maybe, you know, during our revolutionary war. That was, you know, and maybe that's why it's always our go to. Well, it worked then. Let's try it now. But in Vietnam, yeah. it didn't work. But what did work? It was our culture. It was our music. It was our movies. It was our fast yes. food. You can travel to Vietnam now, and it's as safe as traveling to Paris. Exactly correct. <laughs> you, you know, you know, tongue in cheek and, and and jokingly, I know people might be disrespecting me for saying this joke. You want to stop terrorism? You know what? Why, why don't you, Why don't you let people live a free life in those countries? Why don't you give them booze for Christ's freaking sake? Let them enjoy freaking life. They live in such sexual and, and poverty uh, uh, restrictions. They have nowhere else to go. So here comes along Bin Laden or Hezbollah, or another group that says, I will, I, will give you, I will give you something to live for. I will, give you, I will give you love. Every terrorist that we have interviewed, and we don't interrogate in the FBI, we interview people. I hate that word, interrogate. Yeah. Okay? It all spoke about bin Laden, about the love of bin Laden, how we looked at them with adoring, loving eyes, because they all felt they needed to belong to someplace. Why does a kid in, in, in the ghetto in the Bronx or in D.C. join a gang? Join a gang? Yeah, for a sense of belonging. So you join a terrorist group because you've got fucking nowhere else to go. And maybe if they had somewhere else to go, maybe if they could better their lives, maybe they wouldn't turn to terrorism. That's not 100% fail proof. No, of course not. Well, at least we try. Well, if you're getting it. laid and drunk and having fun in life, you're less likely to kill somebody. That's exactly that's, correct. And you have, you have something to live for. You have, yeah. you have a job and a family. But no, no. They turned. So what have we learned? I don't know, man. You know, I'm no longer in the government and I wish I was there sometimes to understand it all and to try to help my own way. But look, all the tragedy that has come out of the 9-11 attacks, specifically what? The invasion of Iraq. Okay, we had a right and an obligation to go up in Afghanistan and hunt down Bin Laden and kill him and hunt down the leadership of the Taliban. Okay, and then get the fuck out. 
Yeah, that was in Pakistan, by the way, wasn't it? <laughs> but yeah, but no, but no, no, but no, initially Bin Laden, of course. Yeah, was, was trained Afghanistan. in Afghanistan. Right. Right. He was had his training camp. So yeah, yeah, go in there, blow them up, hold Mullah Omar and the Taliban responsible, and get out of there. But we didn't. We stayed behind this quagmire. Okay. And then Mr. Dick Cheney and his band, the Many Minions, okay, used the tragedy. <laughs> That's a great name for a Miami. band, by the way, Many Minions. <laughs> Mary or Manny, whatever you want, uh, to, to justify the attack, the illegal invasion of Iraq. Because right. they turned on the war machine, the lying machine, and got everyday Americans to believe that Saddam Hussein was somehow connected to 9-11, somehow was connected to bin Laden, to justify, to find any damn straw, okay? Look at look that at was all about Atta. revenge because his dad didn't go into exactly Atta. correct. You know, and I quite frankly, I was there. Yeah, I know, I know, yeah. I know you were there, brother. Yeah. And and I'm I'm telling you just the fact that they lie blatantly and they don't face prosecution for this. So you lock up somebody else, some petty bullshit, and they get away with freaking murder. That's justice. That's America. That's not the America I was led to believe to, to believe in when I was a kid. My God, man. And then there are people to this day that would still say, well, you know, Saddam Hussein was responsible. Are you out of your, I, this, this is the thing where I just, I remember I was at a dinner once and a friend of mine, a colleague in the FBI, I had a friend and their family, this, this couple is like extremely conservative to the, to the point of being absurd. And the wife said to me, you know, Saddam Hussein was responsible, this is like before the invasion or during the invasion, you know, Saddam Hussein was responsible for 9-11. I said, excuse me? And I, she said, I said, how do you know that? She goes, well, we know that's true because the president and vice president told us. I'm sorry, I'm moving the thing. Yeah. I, said, I said, wait a second. I said, do you know who you're talking to? <laughs> Me and him, we're the people that provide the intelligence to the US government. At that time, at the time I was responsible for the publication of the presidential terrorism threat report and the threat matrix. That's what I was responsible for. Well, they read it so, on the internet, so that had to be true. Well, she told me, well, even the president has access to information that you don't have. She said, what? No, he does So they'll go to any length to believe the lie that they've been told, not to wake up to reality. They were lied to, and these people got away with murder. Rumsfeld, he's dead. Cheney's still alive. And, and, and Wolfowitz and all the people on that cabal, if you will, that put those, sent those young boys to their death who went to war thinking they were fighting terrorism and saving the American way. No, pal, you didn't do a goddamn thing. Your blood was spilled innocently and incorrectly. Okay? And that was, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll give, all right, so let's bring it up to the future. Uh, ahead, this man. week, Biden got us out of Afghanistan. Right. And, and said that, you know, you look at the, at what our vets have gone through. They've gone through hell. And for hell. what? And, the, and for what? He, he asked the, the very question that you're asking now and hinted that in the future we have to use diplomacy. I mean, it, what he said wasn't really going to be taken well by the war machine, by the military complex. No, not at all. Industrial industrial complex. Military complex. No, no, not uh, at all. But what he said, there are still people, you know, more than half of the people in the United States said, yeah, we got to get out of, of uh, Afghanistan. We never. And then they give him shit for doing it. Right. So can't have it both ways, pal. Yeah. And you know what? The issue is that Trump made the deal with the Taliban. Yeah, he did. Okay? And and Biden. Now, I saw some other bullshit the other day where someone said, well, you know, Obama had made the deal with the Iranians and Trump Trump ripped it up and started something new. You know, so Biden could have done the same thing, you know, nullify the agreement. That's just that's fucking apples and oranges. You're talking about the, the, the agreement that was done with Iran with the nuclear weapons was an international agreement signed on by many, many nations. OK, right. And it has nothing to do with the fact of pulling out of Afghanistan. It's totally, totally different. The Iranian agreement. Well, you know what? I'll work say with Iran on a diplomatic level to not create nuclear weapons. I'll say a multi-nation agreement, but Trump did it just to satisfy his base. Right. But what I will say this, that it, in both cases, it, the only thing that they have that are similar in both cases, it was America's word and it's, and it's right. it, at, at stake. And Biden showed that we could honor our ourselves, right. even if we didn't agree. And right. Trump said, screw you, I'll do what I want. So I'll do what I want. I so want votes in some I want, ways, I want, I want the sheep to love me. Right. So in some ways, what Biden did was enhance 
the, the prestige of America by honoring a, a past agreement. So, mm-hmm. but, I, but I agree with you in, in it, it, they're apples and oranges, but in that one regard, I think that okay. part of it was because we have a problem and, and most Americans, now you know this because you've lived overseas, but most Americans don't see this is that our allies and our enemies never know whether to take us seriously because every four years shit changes. Okay, good point. And very, very good point. So very good point. him honoring that says, mm-hmm. look, I don't agree with the son of a bitch, but he made the agreement. I'm sticking to it. And again, that doesn't bode well for the military industrial complex. No, not at all. Not at all. They must be pissed off now because now all the trillions of dollars that was being spent on war machinery has now gone out the window. Look, the bottom line is that in about two weeks, no one's gonna no one's gonna remember Afghanistan, quite frankly. I'm very, very sorry. Okay. And you know what? All these people screaming and clamoring, quite frankly, I bet you 98% of them are people that don't want to wear a mask and don't want to get a vaccine. Okay. It's just something for them to latch on to. Because if this happened under Trump and people died, they, they would somehow blame the Taliban for what happened. Right. Not him. Well, plus That's the whole thing is the these- hypocrisy. A lot of these people who are screaming the loudest would be the first that would have to give their blood. That and that's right. that they'd be the ones that would be fighting this and lamenting it and telling our presidents, "Don't forget our sacrifice." And right. yet they, you know, I I I I shake my head at the hypocrisy <laughs> all the time. But well, look, you so know what? twenty years later, what we're looking at that one single decision to not inform the FBI has portend untold disaster in in american foreign policy that is point that is point zero as i wrote in my memo of the crime of everything everything flows from doug's memo not going the non-passive information caused so much death and destruction now people listening to this might say oh that guy's fucking crazy what's he wrong well come on don't be what why are you trying to make yourself important i'm not trying to make myself goddamn anything pal okay just look at what happened look at the if facts the, look at the facts that if the fbi had been informed that two terrorists were on their way to america and they were in america we could have gone looking for them back in january 2000 and we would have uncovered that network and taken it down and they would have not been the 9-11 terrorist attacks and then which that would never have caused the afghanistan invasion which then never would have caused the iraq invasion so yeah it's a fact. And people don't like facts. They want to believe what they want to believe. But you know what? Disagree with me. I stand by what I believe and what I'm saying. Everything flows from that memo not being passed. Well, and, and our history in the uh, Middle East is disastrous. I mean, Trump in one respect was honest when they said, why, you know, like they gave uh, Jamal Khashoggi, uh, the murderers, a pass. And, and Trump said, it's all about the money. So, I mean, yeah. he, he was honest you know, there. In, but, in many respects, yeah. In many respects, he said some refreshing, honest things because he didn't give a shit. And right. maybe that's what people found most appealing about him. Yeah. That he wasn't this cagey politician, wasn't weighing. He was just said it like it is. Yeah. yeah. And quite frankly, some things he said was like, you know what? You got to agree with that. Yeah. Fine. But everything else, okay, fine. <laughs> but let, everything let, else, let, he was let, fucking let, nuts. Let, let, <laughs> well, yeah, let that one go. I mean, totally shouldn't have been there. I mean, since 1950, all right, so let's go back to Iran. 1953 was a democracy. We came in because of oil. Us and the Brits came in and got rid of their democratic government. They were going to democratize the oil, put in the Shah, and look what that led to. Look at at Chile, Salvador Allende, the copper. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. I mean, look, man, I understand we have American interests, but work with that government then. Just don't panic and say we got to throw money and bodies at it because we got to control. It. Maybe, <clears throat> maybe work with them. Maybe have a dialogue. Maybe sit down and say. Hey, maybe introduce them to our decadent rock and roll music and our and, and McDonald's and, and and get them playing well, soccer the same, so their the soccer same, moms are too busy. Well, <laughs> this, I mean the same thing in Cuba. Castro wanted to work with us, but 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 the but but the block right the voting block said no 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 he took our possessions we want them back. No yeah. no you can't negotiate with him. Okay, stop. Sometimes it's not just all about money. Okay, so let's just. 
Well, if you want to make it all about money, isn't it? it, it wait, it, it, and I'll get when people say that, you know, it, it it's about the money, Brian. It's about the well, what's the long term picture? Short term gain versus long term. Now, I would submit that in the long term, it was it's probably cheaper and uh, and, and investment wise is a better investment to, you know, like uh, sell them on McDonald's, rock and roll and, and bad movies. Right, right, right. <laughs> Rather than getting people killed. <laughs> but that's just me. Because no, my goal but, is but to you, travel the world, eat bad food, and listen to rock and roll. <laughs> but you think logically. You <laughs> well, see, so like, well, no, but you have you have a brain because you had a worldwide experience, a breadth of experience and your upbringing with your, your family, you know, you, you learn from them. You, it's not it's not wrong to be open-minded, open to ideas, it's not being liberal, it's being objective. It's being it's 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 being objective Logical and having common sense and analysis, right? Common sense, and that's gone out the window in the face of emotion. Now, you and I get very emotional about this because we're like hitting our head against the wall, saying, "Don't you see it from this objective perspective? Yeah. Stop!" Because it's 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 the hypocrisy which I just can't get my arms around. Look, I would I would go back to the government in five seconds if I was asked, honest to God. I would go back because I would try to make a difference because I still believe in America. I still believe that we are that shining city on a hill. We are that beacon of light. We are the thousand points of light. We are what people around the world still strive to be in their everyday existence. Yes. Let's be that. Let's get, let's, 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 let's bring back that, that, thing that people yearn for that 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 kennedy-esque yes that 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 belief that when i get to that place i have a fair shot i can make a better life where the law and the courts are just and fair where it doesn't matter what caste or family or background or neighborhood i come from i can make it in america and the law will protect me let's be that let's get to that or as kennedy said the lamp that would light the world our ideas will be the lamp that will light the world. And I pray every day to try to make that happen. And we need to because the world depends upon it. Because if we are not in charge, and I say that not arrogantly, not from the perspective because I'm an American. No, if we are not in charge, if we are not that focus of people around the world. What is? What is and who will? Russia? Under that autocrat, China, China, yeah, come on, no, yeah. no, no, and North I lump Korea? in us, right? <laughs> and I lump in us with you know Western Europe, and UK, etc. It's 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 that Western I hate to use that word liberalism because people don't understand what that means either, but it's that openness to common sense and compassion. It is common. We're not sense. perfect. Yeah. No, we're not perfect. There's done. There's dirty deals done and there's corruption here. Oh, I understand it, man. But it's better than what I've seen around the globe. And I know from the conversations I have with people around the globe, they are so still envious. Oh, America, if I can just get to America, if I can just because America, look, one of my favorite lines in Casablanca, uh, the young woman who wants to, you know, get the visa with her husband to come to America. And she says, oh, if you only knew what it meant for us to go to America. America, that place where people still strive to go to. Let's be that again. And I'd like to help do that. I, I would too. I, I often look, but there's a point that you make, and I have made this in a couple of columns that I've written. I think 9-11 stripped the thin veneer of civility off this country and exposed us as being very bitter, very yeah. brittle. And um, and it, in some ways, Osama bin Laden was... was um, successful because we've turned on each other we've turned it, it's it's turned into a, a we've become tribal yeah. we've become bitter and we've become very afraid that was actually one of his predictions that he yes. would cause us to turn on each other and we would implode economically from the amount of money we have spent on safety and security and the reality and you know it's funny i think about 9 11 people say to me you know they ask me that all the time i said I think about it every day. So you think about it every day. I said, I think about it every day because I am reminded every day of what has come as a result of it. Mm. The fact that you can't get, you know, on an airplane, the way you're, way you're, you know, the safety and security measures, the 
the fact that you go, let's say, in Grand Central Station or probably Union Station in Washington, D.C., there's police officers around with machine guns and everything else. So yeah. like, National Guard troops in Grand Central Station saying, but they're really fighting terror. That may make crime go down in Grand Central Station, but it's not going to prevent terrorism. It's not no. going to do a goddamn thing. You, you mean to tell me a bunch of National Guardsmen walking around Grand Central Station with machine guns is going to stop a person who wants to die from blowing themselves up in the middle of the goddamn station? How ludicrous is that? But yet it puts this, oh, everybody feels safe and secure. Oh, they won't try that because that man is there with a machine gun. Oh, really? That's the first person they attack. <laughs> that's, that's who they're going to walk up to and blow up. Exactly correct. Yeah. So who's kidding who? Because we don't, we, we think, we still think that the rest of the world wants to be us per se. Okay. Many people want to come and be us and live here and prosper in it. But we still think that the whole world, we want to go, they want, they want us to establish an America in their country. And, and all they really want to do is be Western. Many people probably do in those countries, but the terrorist there doesn't. They don't want us there. I think it's, they're afraid that, I, I think some of the poor and disaffected in this country are afraid they'll be knocked down a rung on a ladder they're barely hanging on with the immigration from other countries. And so yeah. that, that stokes the fear. Oh, It's sure. rich against poor and the poor will turn on other poor to benefit the rich while thinking they benefit themselves and all they do is benefit those who have versus I love all the people not. screaming about they're taking American jobs. Really? You're going to go out in the field and pick potatoes and, and corn? Right. Really? You're going to really? go get pears? You're going to go work in the San Fernando Valley and switch your ass of getting avocados? Go right ahead. Yeah, not going to happen. Go right ahead. And Take by the job. way, if you don't have those people there, who wants to pay $10 per tomato? That's, right. I mean, if you really wanted to get angry about illegal immigration or immigration or any right. kind of immigration, you would find the companies that go after that, that, right. that hire them. And we don't. Now, the Simpson-Mazzoli bill in 1986, until then, it was illegal to come in, but it was legal to hire them. After the Simpson-Mazzoli bill passed in 86, it became illegal to hire them. But here's the caveat. It's rarely enforced. Right. So, that, you know. And most of the company owners are which party? Yeah. And and it gets and, and the blind eyes turn, so stop the hypocrisy. Yeah. But it's just it's just it's just fodder to get the crowd whooped up. Yeah. And, Unfortunately, and we do that a lot around against, here. Yeah. yeah. Before we, we go to the break, stop. one last question to think about as we go into the break. What does the future portend and what do you see? Is there any I mean we've we've sound kind of gloom and doom. Is there any hope? Uh, for middlemen and for the rest of us. <laughs> we'll consider that question when we come back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. Again, that's at JATQ Podcast. Hi, it's Just Ask the Question. I am your host. Let me check my underwear. Yes, I'm Brian Karam. And with me is a former FBI agent, Mark Rossini, who is one of the lead investigators in trying to warn the world about the potential of 9-11. And here we are 20 years later, Mark, and we've talked about the gloom and doom of it. Do you see any cause for hope? Is there any reason to believe that we can move forward past the problems? That, and the problem, I know the problems are immense, and I know that... Yeah. We've had a lot of fallout from 9-11 that most people don't even consider or even understand. But moving forward, is there any cause for hoping that that will change? Every day is a cause for hope. Good Every answer. Day. Yeah. And when you lose hope, then you're really gone. Right? And I still believe in a place called America. I still believe in the Constitution. I still believe in the energy and the good of people. I, think, I still believe that people are more good than they are evil and that they will try. So yes, I still have hope. I have hope that common sense will rise to the surface and guide our politics, guide our national discourse. There's a lot of incivility that has been awakened uh, over the last few years, but maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's good for us to confront it and take it head on and say, no, we're not gonna go down that path. 
we're not going to go down. We're not going to become a fascist regime. Like we're not going to do a Hitler. We're going to get back to democracy. We're going to get back to dialogue and discourse. So yes, Brian, I have tremendous hope. I never lose hope. And I know that there are very good people in America that will make this the right way. What systemically do you think should change within a law enforcement to address specifically what occurred on 9-11? Or prior to 9-11? What what occurred is that any time that anything pertain, any terrorist, any terrorist threat, any action or activity, a la the member that came from Kuala Lumpur, that needs to be shared with the FBI and let the political chips fall where they may. So it's like this grand fear of letting the FBI know and the FBI couldn't be controlled. Yes, of course. You think we think at the time Louis Free and others were uncontrollable or couldn't go down to the White House and the State Department and talk about what was going on and formulate a plan. But no, all these political sensitivities were at stake. Let the Saudi Mabahit do what they need to do. Don't let the Saudis get upset. It's all in my memo. You can read it. I lay it out all there. Like my experience has taught me how to do, to make a case circumstantially, logically. Right. The, the, the question that I sure. just comes across to me all the time is, as I think about systemically, there was one person who are, you know, most decisions usually come down not to a committee, but to one person. Yes, and, so in, in this case, it wasn't the president who knew and didn't tell. It was somebody in the CIA right. who knew and didn't right. tell. How do you get, I, I mean, and so the fear was, and, and what I, I've never been able to get my mind around, and I've read your memo, mm-hmm. that what I can't get my mind around is, did they actually believe that if you went after the terrorists, that somehow the Saudi government wouldn't go, it, it would, in their own self-interest, at least go, well, fuck it, you got them. But, no, you know. because the, two things. The Saudi government had an interest in trying to recruit one of the members to sell and learn about what they were doing and then use that person to inform the CIA as to what Al-Qaeda was up to. That was the grand dream and hope. And also, the FBI had been allowed to work the case. The fear was that the FBI would move and arrest these Saudis and thus cause the kingdom embarrassment. Because it all goes down to their ego, personal image, and their standing in the world as far as the vanguards of Islam and the protector of the holy places, Mecca and Medina. Because the big bad FBI arresting these 15 hijackers eventually as the investigation went on would have probably, maybe in some case, not realistically, but in their mind it's real, debased their authority as the leaders of Islam. See, That's I, what the I believe. Thing that I can't That's what was at stake here. Yeah, I get that. But what I don't get, what I can't understand is that, look, the, the crown prince was tied into and it was responsible right. for killing a journalist. And the kingdom of Saudi Arabia was able to whitewash that. Right. So I, it seems to me that what that proved above anything else is if had we been able to go after those 15 terrorists, the kingdom mm. of Saudi Arabia would have gone, it would have whitewashed that as well, but we would have enabled right. ourselves to protect ourselves from 9-11. So to right. me, that is, to me, that it, that goes back to the CIA and an extreme failure, not of intelligence gathering, but of comprehension of, of the right. subject matter. Does that thinking make sense? Themselves important, it does, and thinking themselves important that they were going to take this unilaterally and make this happen. Here's what you got to do. Yeah. As I wrote in my memo, and you have, and, and Doug will tell you the same thing. Ask them. They must have had a very good reason for not passing his memo. Yeah. And they've never been asked. That's the issue. They've never been asked. It's been reported. It's so they couldn't deny history because it's in the 9 11 Commission report about Doug's memo and the instant message exchange, which I outlay in the memo. But they never drilled down on it. The 9 11 Commission never went that further mile to say, why didn't you pass the memo? Now, of course, the excuse given was we were overwhelmed. It fell through the cracks. It what doesn't a bunch fall of shit. Crack. <laughs> it went a bunch of BS. Exactly. Yeah. Falling through the cracks is a threat or not deeming a threat important when somebody reports, some foreign intelligence service reports, two guys are sitting at a cafe in downtown, downtown Amman 
and said they were going to travel to Israel and blow something up and then go to America and blow something up. That falls through the cracks because there's two knuckleheads talking in a cafe and amounts to nothing. That is like, okay, yeah, but it, was, it didn't have any merit at the time. Right. This is actionable intelligence. Two people that have visas and they're in America who were just at a terrorist summit, which, by the way, they knew about the meeting in Malaysia and the terrorist summit because the NSA and CIA was listening to the phone to the phone in the home where Khalid Amidhar lived in Sana Yemen. That was the home <laughs> of the Al Qaeda switchboard. And that number was learned from an FBI interview of Daoud Rashid Alawali, one of the perpetrators of the Nairobi bombing. So we so, had the intelligence. It was verifiable. And no one's right. ever asked, the, the 9-11 Commission never asked. No one's ever asked the question. Right. No, so here, Brian. You know, my feeling, so, just ask the question. Right. So, so here's the thing. So you need to tell me, you take a phone number from an interview of a guy, and you deem it important enough to go listen in on the phone call, the phone calls going in and out, because the terrorist you captured in Nairobi has told you that's the Al-Qaeda switchboard. And now you start listening to it. And then you learn from listening to that phone that the son-in-law who lives in the home is going to travel via Dubai to Malaysia for a meeting with friends or whatever the frick he called them on the phone call. And you deem that important enough that you mobilize the security services of various intelligence agencies to help you along the way investigate and monitor their activity. And you don't tell the FBI. Especially if they've got visas to come to the yeah. U.S. <laughs> I'm was... very sorry. That doesn't fall to the cracks. It doesn't make sense. It's a lie. I don't accept it. And neither should you. No, I don't. I, I accept that we oh, I screwed up. I, I think it was when history is all said and done, that particular dark moment in history will be one of the greatest failures uh, in American intelligence. But yes, willful uh, and purposeful. Willful, willful and purposeful, and purposeful. willful and conscious knowledge with knowledge of forethought. And you just want to, it, 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 but on, a, on, on a, another level, it just makes you go, who in the fuck are, are we hiring to make these decisions? No. <laughs> it's not a movie. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not the movies. Not everybody there is, you know, Intelligent out and chiseled, you know, with brains and looks and, and chiseled and everything else. And that is not a movie. Yeah, no, it's, it's sorry. It and that to me is that it's, speaks to American, you know, the ugly American. The the idea yeah. that we're superior. The idea that we're it's that uh, of course elitist, ignorant attitude. I think right. we know better. Will, will be our downfall we if we don't clean it up. Yes. Well, listen. I know you have. I know you have to make a train. <laughs> well, I got. Well, I've got. Well, I've not got an hour and a half. But okay, good. Because I do have a couple other questions before we get out. Um, okay. The do you think that we can make it's it's possible to make changes in our intelligence community that would correct that problem, or are we too ingrained in the way we do things to make a difference? Or do we just need to have a house cleaning? Well, no, I'm not so sure about a house cleaning. I think there's a lot of good people who work in the agencies that toil day in and day out and are very dedicated to the mission. I think what has to happen on every level, even, even crime, okay, you've got to stop politicizing everything. Not everything is a political issue that a politician that can use it to push their agenda for whatever selfish reasons or to get reelected. Get the politics out of intelligence gathering. Get the politics out of criminal initiatives or, or crime-stopping initiatives. Just stop the politics. Get Look, bad guys came to the U.S., let the FBI do the job and arrest them. Chips fall where they may. Okay? Right. That's the bottom line. Stop getting involved with it and stop going, oh, well, it's how it's going to affect foreign policy. Well, now, again, I'm the naive guy who's out of the picture, right? So what do right. I know? I'm not as smart as people still there. Well, it, oh, come on, man. I have it's a matter of staying, You know, the, the, the term these days is staying in your lane. Let the... Right. Let the guys who do the the criminal investigations stay in their lane let the foreign policy guys who have to deal with the fallout right. from the from the legal stuff right. handle stay it. in their lane and handle right. it. right handle it just yeah that's so a cleaning of house no i i just i just think that we have to stop looking at everything from a political perspective and we just have to make the hard decisions sometimes and say look that person is going to go down they're going to get arrested we're going to do this operation because it serves our 
interest as far as protecting American lives. This is this is the thing I just I, I, I as far as look, the intelligence community is a tremendous apparatus. If you saw it in motion, like I saw how the NSA functions and the DIA and the FBI and the CIA, what they do is incredible how they can it'll blow you away if you knew the reality of what goes on there and, and the capabilities that they have. Yeah. But when it reaches, when, when things reach a certain level, then everybody says, well, how can I use this? Or how does this affect this other thing over here? And all I'm driving at, the 9-11 threat, the travel of terrorists to America, that's where the buck stops, man. Right. That's where you say, no more politics. We don't care how pissed you're going to be off or how it's going to affect our, our, our foreign policy. This has got to stop. These guys got to be arrested with the chips fall with MA. That's what has to change. And hopefully it has changed. But sadly, I don't think it has. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I hope it has. I'm concerned it has not because I see no. every day a whole lot of, of politics coming into these decisions that are made out of the White House and out of right. the State Department, out of sure. Congress. And it, that I don't think has changed. But when you have a president who says, look, we have to lean towards democracy and not, it's a challenge, authoritarianism mm -hmm. or democracy. It gives me hope that at least we're aware of what the problem is. He's gonna try it. <laughs> May not actually change, but at least he said it. Yeah. And we'll see what happens. What do you we'll think what of what happened in Afghanistan this week? You know, obviously, it's tragic beyond comprehension. But I think the president, President Biden laid out what happened. Because, you know, one, one thing that was always on my mind that I wanted to ask him, and he addressed the question, uh, was, you know, well, why didn't you pull the people out earlier? All the people that were helping us. He said, look, if I had done that, that would have caused another, if you will, a civil war that would have caused more strife and turmoil if we had to say started evacuating by the hordes, at least thousands of people to get them out of the country before our actual date. And it's like, and they also knew that we were withdrawing for months. It wasn't like this yeah. date was just something that picked out. So, you know, I, I, I get it. I don't. Well, this was a move again, that was politicized. Well, yeah, because look, because in the respect that all I'm saying is the hypocrisy now that people screaming that he did this wouldn't be screaming if Trump had done it. That's all I'm saying. Well, and that, if we hadn't, and if we hadn't got out, they'd be screaming. They just want to scream. That's just want to scream about something. Whether it's not wearing a mask or not getting a vaccine, it's just screaming about something. I wish something. they would scream about the right things, but that's it. <laughs> now, yeah. Now, look, and look, now the ISIS bomber, okay? Yeah. Well, Brian, what did that just prove? All that war machinery, all that weaponry, all those satellites, all those investigated cases, all everything being done around the globe, the Patriot Act, and everything else that we now have in power and play means a hill of shit because a guy strapped a bomb on and mingled with the crowd and he got as near as he could to the Marine checkpoint and blew himself up. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, we have bombs that will fly on a drone, go and knock on the door and check your ID before they blow you. Is this, are you John Ben right. bad, bad? Okay. No. All right. I need your brother. Bring him up. Boom. Right. <laughs> Boom. And, and so it just goes to show, you know, we, we got a long way to go and I'm glad we're out of there. Yeah, I'm glad I, I we're out of there. And, and now let Coca Cola, McDonald's, and Kentucky Fried Chicken do their job. <laughs> well, you know, look, I'm not saying the Taliban is great, and I don't want to go near them, and we should make them a pariah. Yeah, you know, and 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 they will fall, and they will fall. Yeah, they will fall eventually. I think it was it was in, I, I don't know, it was enlightening to me. It, it one of the questions I asked when they first announced that they were going out, I asked in the uh, briefing room was. You know, have we had contact with the Taliban? Are we, you know, in contact with them? And they go, well, we have an embassy there. And so we're talking to them. So it's obvious from the beginning that we had negotiated with the Taliban. And now it's coming out that the Taliban even, you know, helped walk Americans to the to the airport. So, I mean, oh. we have been dealing with them for the last oh. few months, try, and okay. trying to extricate ourselves out. And that, um, I, I think... I, it, it's frightening me how we politicize this and never take into account exactly what we did to get, you know, in, in essence, Mark, think about it this way. We evacuated the equivalent of the city of Fort Lauderdale, Texas, uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. We, 
we we evacuated them in less than a month that's pretty that's pretty that's very impressive yeah that's very impressive you know if you want to talk about an intelligence failure the one intelligence failure was to properly get the information to the president about how quickly the taliban government agreed agreed that's an intelligence failure yes that was a failure yeah well the question there is did he have now he says he takes full responsibility and he had information but he wanted to get them out so did he have the intelligence and uh even peripherally and then decide to move as he did or was that not emphasized was that not and you have to say that considering the decisions that were made on prima facie evidence is that he was not fully aware of the the dangers they all thought because he said we thought that it would take about a year so that's a failure of mm-hmm. intelligence. I, mm-hmm. I agree. That, and that's yeah. where that fell down. If- and the Afghan army hadn't been paid for months. The, the leader of, 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 of Afghanistan corrupt well, he to the got core. paid. <laughs> yeah, corrupt to the core, wasn't yeah. paying the army staff members, okay? And you're a member of the army there. He's like, well, Americans are leaving. What am I going to I'm not going to fight for this guy. Right. No, that's it. I'm out of here. I lay down my arms. Right. Boom. And then they haven't been fed and haven't been paid. And the Taliban comes up and goes, Here's a ham sandwich and a quarter. I'm yours. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's an it's exaggeration. Sense of belonging. Yeah. 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 Sensible. You know, we'll take care of you. And that's, yeah, that's right. Well, it's listen, exactly Mark, I, All right, I, I really appreciate uh, the time. Stick around while we sign off. But this has been Just Ask the Question. Our, uh, I'm your host, Brian Karam. And this has been a great conversation with Mark Rossini, one of the lead investigators that tried to let the world know about 9-11 before it happened. And he was here to talk to us on the 20th anniversary of that sad event. So Mark, again, thanks for, uh, for, for this. It's just ask the question and we'll catch you next time. Hey there, JATQ listeners. We deeply appreciate your listenership and the audience we've been able to cultivate while producing this podcast. Thanks to all of your support, we've been able to ramp things up and create even more content for you to enjoy. Through our Patreon page, there are lots of new and exciting things to check out. Due to the way Patreon is set up, it's entirely up to you, the listener, to decide what that content is worth. The podcast episodes will always be free, but if you want to gain access to our weekly newsletter, ad-free episodes, exclusive merch, and much, much more, you'll want to head over to patreon.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. That's patreon.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Thanks. Have a great day. is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.